What about financial advice? Are you good with money? Um. That seems like a no. What financial advice Ooh. would you give me? What have you guys learned? Uh, Start building your credit early. <laughs> Do you guys think credit cards are good? If you have like a, a $13,000 limit, make sure you stay under 20% of that limit at all times, because that'll go on your credit score. So I need to get a high limit so I can spend a lot on it. Well, just within your yeah. limit. Who decides the limit? The government, I'm sure. I'll call them. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything you need advice about? How do you pay off my student loans? How do I pay off your student loans? Uh, very reluctantly. What was your degree? My degree is chemical engineering. So you're a chemical engineer? Yes. I think you'll be able to pay off your loans. Just engineer more chemicals. Diversify, you have all kinds. You go into all those different fidelity. What's the one that everyone has? Um... Bitcoin. No. <laughs> no. Seems like half the people are saying invest in cryptocurrency and the other half are saying buy gold. Now I would say that's a better bet. Buy gold? Yes, it's tangible. Isn't that just for like old people that do that? No. But what is your actual financial advice? You said you know how to budget. I know how to budget and things, I just don't. Rents, car insurance, car insurance. We did premarital counseling mm -hmm. and we learned that to, to her, money represents fun. And to me, money represents safety. Yeah, that's that's me and my So home. I bought a flamethrower <laughs> to protect us with. That's also very fun. Trying to figure out combining our finances and stuff. Keep a separate account. Don't put it all into one. Just in case. And, and I'm not married, so I'm saying that, and it may turn out to be totally different. Her, her money is her money. Your money is her money. You don't have, you don't have money. any money. So that's how, you, that's how it works. <laughs> and maybe she doesn't need to know about it, because if she knows about it, that may not go over to you. Where do I get money? You just ask her. You have to ask her, that's right. <laughs> but if she ever finds out about it, I'll be like, well, I didn't lie to you because you never asked. That is true. I just didn't tell you. That's true, I like the way you think. I like the way, you, yeah, we got this figured out, I think. Oh, good morning, Springs. How's everybody? You guys are looking good. Man, we're uh, finishing the series today. Um, this. This whole, you'll be glad you did, is timeless truth for troubled times. And, and the whole premise of the series really has been, uh, we, we've all lived long enough to kind of reap the benefits of good decisions we've made in our lives. And we've also lived long enough to experience the consequences of bad decisions, which means that today is connected to tomorrow. It's like to, today's decisions actually become tomorrow's realities in our life. So I want to start this one uh, with right now, just imagine tomorrow morning, you got an email from your bank and uh, the email was alerting you to a large deposit that was made in a checking account that you didn't know you had. And the money that was deposited into that account was all the money you had wasted all your life. All right, yeah, you're like me, we're rich. <laughs> oh man, I, and I mean, that, because, and let me help you with wasted. Wasted means that you like, uh, you, it's all the money you bad habited away. Like bad money management. Like you, you know you should have budgeted and you've heard something about it, but you just did the whole reckless spending thing from season to season. and. They figure one day, one day we'll catch up. Or you, it was all the money that you consumer debted away. 
that you know, you're, you're still paying for things that you don't even own anymore. Or, or you vacationed it away. You know, like last year's vacation, it's almost time to take this year's, but you got to pay for last year's first. And because we have all made poor financial decisions, all of us. I mean, uh, I don't have all, uh, all the time in the world to do this, but I can give you one of them. For me, uh, Teddy and I were newly married and I, I'm an entrepreneur. I, came, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, so I saw an opportunity. Video game, video arcades were everywhere. And I made the decision that we're gonna buy a Donkey Kong machine. Uh, and for those of you who have no idea what that is, it's a video game, right? It's like, but, but I was gonna buy one, I was gonna put it in an arcade, and every week I would go and collect all the quarters. And, uh, and so I, I, I could just imagine when I sat down with the loan officer at the bank, because I couldn't afford it, I had to take out a loan for it. He was thinking, well, let me get this straight. You were gonna, take out a $3,000 personal loan in 1981 at 12% interest to buy a video game that you're gonna put in an arcade and you think you're gonna make tens of thousands of dollars, 25 cents at a time. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, sign right here. Right. And there, there, there was, I mean, that's, that's what I did and uh, I know, uh, I don't know where my wife is. Baby, are you in the room someplace? Okay. Okay. I, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, because I have a litany of stories like that. You know, it's just, I mean, because he, the, the loan officer, may, he may have been thinking he was talking to a young Steve Jobs on the cusp of something great. But actually, he was talking to a young Ron Sylvia on the cusp of yet another dumb financial decision. Right, and that, that, that's where we've been. Now, my intention isn't to make you feel bad about poor financial decisions. Matter of fact, let me encourage you with this next piece. Uh, and that is uh, Dave Ramsey, who's a best-selling author and a financial expert, and he has a, 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 a talk show that, that's heard by 23 million people every week. I wanna take you into one of his calls, because if you ever wanna feel good about how you handle your money, just listen into their calls. It's kinda like watching Judge Judy. Um, but, but just, uh, let me take you there. And he's talking to a young couple who has nearly a million dollars in debt. Listen. Peace this evening. Oh, cool. Um, but together we have probably just under a million dollars in debt and we want to know how to get debt free without filing bankruptcy. Okay. How much of that is a mortgage? Uh, the mortgage about 210. So you have six hundred thousand dollars in what? Three hundred thirty-five is about in student loans. We both have advanced degrees, and then a lot. The rest is really credit cards and personal loans. So you have three hundred thousand dollars of credit cards and personal loans. We have about so three hundred thirty-five thousand student loans, and then about one hundred thirty-six in credit cards, 44,000 personal loans, and 35,000 car loans. Okay. Um, how old are you? I'm 29. Okay. So what in the world? <laughs> so 
Yeah. I so mean, we, uh, are you both on this, or is this just one of you that's completely lost your mind? Well, I have the majority of the student loans, and he has the majority of the, of the credit cards. My my credit card debt is about is not great. Okay, it's so about why does he why is he at twenty nine years old run up a hundred grand in credit card debt? Well, he's he's thirty two, but um, I I think it's one of those things where just making really poor financial decisions, thinking be able to pay it down as you go, and then it, it doesn't it doesn't happen. Yeah. And okay, so you both have I, advanced degrees. What are your degrees in? We do. So I have a degree, in, well, both of our advanced degrees, no, he has an MBA and I have an advanced degree in policy. I work in the government and we actually both do now at this point. Actually. <laughs> it's okay, they work for the government. Um, but, but you know, for all of us, uh, there's surveys done so many places, but the American Psychological Association uh, recently discovered that 75% of us uh, really get stressed out about money constantly, no matter how much we make. It, it's a stress in all of our lives. And, you know, and if your financial world is unhealthy, if, if you, you know, ha have too much debt, if you're not saving enough, if you're stressed about money all the time, it's just a matter of time before it begins to impact your heart. And Jesus said these words in Matthew 6, 21. He said, for where your treasure is, and the treasure, it's not, he's not talking about like a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. It literally is money in the original language. It's like, so where your money is, there your heart will be also. That your heart will be where your money is. It's like, because the important truth is that Jesus understood was my bank account and the condition of my heart are intimately connected. And, and I don't know about you, but you know, I, I imagine a lot of you are like me that when I look at my bank account, the, there's a line that I have in my head that if my balance drops below this line, I, I get uneasy, right? It's like the security line. And everybody has a different level and a different security line, but where we get in trouble is that God says, your money is not your security line. God says, I am your security. I am where you find your identity. It's, it's in me. And, and God knows that money more than anything is his chief competitor for your heart. That's why Jesus talked about it so many times. Jesus talked more about money than he did about any other topic, including faith and heaven and hell or love or forgiveness. It was about money. He kept coming back for this very reason. And so today, I, I want to just close this series out uh, with some life-altering advice for troubled times. And the, the first one, if you jot down notes, my, my notes will be in the Bible app. You can go there and follow along as well. But the first one is this. Uh, learn to live generous. And I know that every grammar person out there is going, oh, Sylvia, it's learn to live generously. And I get that because Grammarly always tried to correct me every time I wrote that sentence in my notes, but, but I didn't mean generously. See, generously is a moment of generosity. Generous is a lifestyle of generosity. Is that I didn't say be generous, I said live generous. And that's a totally different thing. And, uh, you know, in, in fact, part of the problem with, in, in America is that we live in this culture that we think generosity is moments of generosity. It's like, 
you know, these random, and you know, it actually is what we call random acts of giving. And random acts of giving, when our heart got moved and somebody asked and we did this one thing, that random acts of giving are not generosity. Random acts of giving are random acts of giving. And that's not what we're talking about. So, you know, and you know, for the same reason, we consider ourselves good people, all of us. Like there's not a one of you, if I went up to you and, and said, you know, I really don't think you're a good person. First of all, you go, well, that's offensive. And, and really, you, you don't even know me. And then what you would do is you would go back to a moment in time where you did something good. Let me tell you what I did. And, and so you tie it back to a moment and a moment of good is not a lifestyle of good. And so, you know, and so when I press you on the generous thing and I say, you know, I don't think you're generous. You're thinking you don't even know me and you're going back to a moment when there was a time that you were generous in a moment. And, and yet, you know, we, most of us, we participate in random acts of giving, but okay. I don't know if you know this or not. It's kind of a secret in the, uh, in the restaurant business. But uh, do you know what day of the week? I, I've talked to servers through the years and they've all told me the same thing. Do you know what day of the week servers do not want to work? Sunday. Sunday. You know why? Because the church people go. It's true. It's like, it is known. Talk to anybody in, the, in that industry because, because they don't think you're generous. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, I talked to someone recently, uh, a server who said that they got left a $20 tip one time and I got a kind of a picture of it. It's like right there under the ketchup, it's like 20 bucks. That's a huge tip. And until he picked it up and opened it and then it said, don't be fooled. There's something you can have more valuable than money. If you have ever done that, fall on your knees right now and repent, right? It's like, that's cheap. And they had a gospel track and they really think that this was the right thing to do. They, and by the way, he didn't leave any tip. That was the tip. So, it's a, but that's it, we're known as, as not generous people. But, uh, it, and here's what I want you to hear me say clearly. If you are a Christ follower, Personal finances are a discipleship issue. They, I mean, it's what you and I think about and how we relate to our bank account is a discipleship issue. And, and Jesus made the, this statement a few verses later in verse 24 and says, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And it says, he, he, what he was saying is that money is a great servant, but it's a terrible leader. And so how do we live generous? And I wanna, I wanna land this one where I kind of started the series. I talked about Elijah, and I wanna dip back into Elijah's life in uh, 1 Kings 17, and that's the text we're gonna be sitting in. But the, what to learn from Elijah, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and, and there was a famine in the land, there was a drought, because God shut off the rain because there was a false prophet of Baal and he was the, uh, the God of rain. So God shut out the rain to show that he wasn't a true God. And so there's this famine in the land and Elijah's on the run for his life because he's the one that told everybody it was gonna happen. And, and here's what you learn. Let me give you a couple of takeaways on 
uh, living generous. First one is trust God when it doesn't make sense. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, and this is where Elijah was. God said, Elijah, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to provide for you. Just trust me. So here's what he tells him to do in 17 verse 2. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. Uh, not the football team, birds, okay? For I have commanded them to bring you food. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there going, okay, so you're going to send some birds to feed me. That, God, that doesn't sound like the most sanitary plan on the planet. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to mama bird feed me? Or how, what, they're not bringing much, right? I mean, how many birds are you sending? And you got all these questions running. I just don't think it's a wise strategy. God, could you just door dash me a sandwich every day? I'd be good with that. And, but, you know, Elijah, truth is, he, he had more faith than you and I do because he, he said, okay. He trusted God when it didn't make any sense. And, and, yen, and then in verse, uh, you know, we, well, put it in our world. The question for us is when it comes to our finances, can we trust God even when it doesn't make any sense? Because that's what he wants us to do. And in verse uh, seven, it goes on and says, but after a while the brook dried up and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. It's like, God sent him to a brook. It's the only water. He's drinking the water out of the brook. And he looks over and he had to be thinking, God, are you seeing the water levels drop here? Because it just dropped below my security line and I'm not comfortable, right? That, that's where he was at. And the brook dried up. And I mean, how many of you feel like you're standing in front of a dried up brook right now? That, that your money dropped below your security line and the mortgage payment's due and you don't have it. Or, or your credit cards are maxed out or your student loans are due or, you know, everything's drying up in your bank account. I mean, and you're just standing next to a brook. What do you do? It, here's the challenge. Trust God when it doesn't make sense. Trust God when the future feels uncertain. Don't trust your feelings. Trust him. And then second thing you see uh, is that we have to learn how to live generous. And living generous is not an amount. It's not a dollar figure. There's not a, okay, you give this much or you give away this much, you're, you're generous. It's not an amount. And, uh, the, and it goes on in verse eight and nine. It said, then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. <laughs> I'm Elijah and be going, really? First, we had the raven feeding plan. And now, God, in the midst of a famine, you're sending me to a widow. I mean, it, this strategy really, it, it lacks. I mean, I mean, you know, here's the thing. Uh, he, go, he went on and said, in the next verse, so he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of water? He's like, he's going minimalist. He knows this, you know, he didn't want to really impose on her. So he said, just, just, just a Dixie cup. That's all I need. Just give me a Dixie cup. 
And, uh, and then, you know, it says, as she was going to get it, he called to her, oh, oh, could you bring me a bite of bread too? <laughs> like, oh man, are you kidding? There's a widow, there's a famine. They, you know, and she, at this point, she went to get the water because she said, you know, what? I'm just trying to be polite. I don't even know this guy, I don't know. But right now she's had it. When he says, oh, a bite of bread too. I mean, just kind of picture some guy sitting on a recliner. Hey, honey, could you bring me some, you know, that's what, sorry, that was just in my head. But, but he said, bring me a bite of bread. And she said, I swear by the Lord, your God, I swear by the Lord, your God. It wasn't her God. This wasn't her God. She didn't have any allegiance to him. She said, but I'm swearing by the Lord, your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil on the bottom of the jug. And I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. I'm thinking Elijah's going, no, so is that a no? <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, mean, I mean, she's ticked. You could hear it in her voice, right? But, you know, if you're Elijah and I'm Elijah, we're going, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I, I didn't mean to put that on you. I just, no, don't, don't even worry about it. That's where we would be. That would be our response. But here's the question. Why her? Why would God send Elijah to a widow? who's about ready to cook her last meal and die. I mean, what, why would he do that? Why would he look at the widow and say, you be generous? I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense because in the fact in the New Testament, it says that, that uh, pure religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans, not taking their last crumbs. This, it, it just didn't make sense. Why would he say you be generous to a widow? In your poverty, be generous. Well, I think it's, uh, it, it seems to me like there have been a lot of other people in the town who have been better picks. Like, you know, Elijah was thinking, you know, how about sending me to a king? How about, how about sending me to the person who has the nicest camel in town? Right? But we can relate to the widow. I think we could probably relate to that widow better than anybody in this story because you know, think about it, when, when we fall on hard financial times, uh, when the stock market crashes, when our 401k, you see the numbers, you're putting money in, but it keeps going lower and lower and lower, when, when your student loan payments are done, when your credit cards are maxed out, when your mortgage is due, and when you lose your job, we, we give ourselves a pass on generosity, Right? I mean, we do. I mean, because you're in that situation and someone says, hey, live generous. You're going, I'm going to take a pass right now. You don't understand how bad it is. Matter of fact, the, the guy next door, I mean, have you seen the kind of car he drives? I mean, he's obviously got a lot more than I do right now. Do you know where they went on vacation last year? I was tracking them on Instagram. I mean, these people have money. They got a lot more financial margin. I'm going to take a pass on generosity and go ahead and ask the people that have a lot. Right? That's what the widow could have said. But the widow didn't get a pass and we don't get a pass. It's not about an amount. It's about a heart. It's about a, a, a lifestyle. I, God says, I want everyone to live generous. 
It's, an, it's not an about an amount. It's about a condition of our hearts. And then uh, go, go on. And the other lesson we learned from, the, the, uh, from Elijah's story is that we have to learn to flip the script on your financial plan. We, we, we function with the American financial plan and uh, all the studies have been done. How do you spend your money? What do you do with it? Well, this is kind of what, the, what it looks like. Five things to do with money. The first thing people do, they spend it. Second thing is repay debt. The third thing is we pay taxes and then we save it and then we give it. That's just the normal plan. And, and you know, Jesus, he taught others, it's about others. We're, we're to focus our lives on others, others first. That's how he lived his life. And, and then when you look at this list though, what that list means is if I spend it, well, that's about me. And if I repay debt, well, that's about me because it's something I bought before that I couldn't afford, but I'm repaying it now. It, pay taxes, that's about the government. Save it, well, that's about me. And give it, well, that's about others. And you, know, you, you look at that list and, and you're thinking, well, giving's always last because it's leftovers, right? It's like the, the bottom. And if I have anything, I will. But, but God says, living generous is, is first. And uh, let me just say this. If, if this is your financial plan and you say you're a Christ follower, you're not really following Jesus. You can't follow Jesus if this is your financial plan. I mean, you, you may pray, you may believe, and you may be offended that I just said that. But I know this too, whenever I talk about money at all, I, I could always feel the tension in the room uh, because what I've learned is that I'm getting closer to your heart than I've ever gotten and you're uncomfortable. And so, I mean, and if you, you hear me say that, that you can't, you're not really following Jesus, listen, go read the gospels. Just, you can't follow Jesus if other people are last in any capacity in your life because the whole idea of following Jesus is putting others first. You know how I know that? He put you first. He put me first. He went to a cross and he died. He gave up. You know, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't need anybody's money. Jesus wasn't even around long enough to spend much money. But he understood that the power of money has on our lives. And he understood that if his father's kingdom was going to be first in our lives, that it had to be first in the practical financial decisions that we make every day. Because money is the chief competitor for our hearts. We have made money a functional savior in our lives. And God says, you can't live that way. And, and you know, since I've offended some of you already. Let me kind of take the next step. Um, that if, if you live this way, you will eventually become a hypocrite. And, and, and I know you don't want to because nobody likes hypocrites. I don't like hypocrites. You don't like them, but, but you will become a hypocrite if, because he, here's the thing. That means that hypocrite means that if you live this way and you hit a financial bump, you know, maybe you, you, you lose your job or you go through a divorce or you take some other financial hit. What, what, 
what Christ followers do when they have trouble is they pray. And so if you live that way and then you go, God, I need help with my finances. God's going, oh, good to hear from you. I, about your money? Okay. Um, really? Now? You want my help now? I mean, think about the, the hypocritical. I, I, haven't, I haven't wanted you in my finances. I know what you've said about it. I just didn't want to live that way. But now I'm really in a bad way, so I need you to help me. And, and yet we're, we, we don't realize that, that God wants to be involved now. And now the good thing is that a lot of people, when they hit rock bottom and they, they turn to God and say, God, I need help, they reorder their, their living and how they financially manage their lives, and, and it's a God story. But, you know, if you want to really flip your script, it's basically you take that and you, you flip it and you say, okay, I'm going to give first, I'm going to save second, and then I'm going to live on the rest. You flip the script. You, you give first. You know why God says, all through scripture, God says give first. You know why? Because that requires faith because you don't know if you're going to have enough for the rest of the list. And that's when God gets involved. And let me kind of take you back to Elijah. Elijah 17 verse 13 says, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, <laughs> but make a little bread for me first. <laughs> Like, are you kidding me? I'm, make a little bread for me first. I mean, if that was me, I'm going, listen, listen, I'm so sorry. My heart's breaking for you. Listen, you go ahead and feed you and your son. If there's any crumbs left over, man, just slide on my way. No, he said, give to me first. And, 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 you know, that, and they said, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. And it, it, it sounds rude. But understand that the reason why this narrative is in the Bible is because God wants to teach you and I something about putting our trust in him. I mean, the, the word first is first because it's a big principle in scripture repeatedly. It's the principle known as first fruits. You give God first and best and then trust him with the rest. And that, that you see that over and over again. And then you see his he goes on and says, for this is what the Lord your God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops go again, grow again. You know, it's like, you trust me first. I'll take care of your needs. And he did. And every time she went back, there was always plenty. That, that's this principle God's trying to teach us. And, and let me just encourage you in this. You know, people say, well, how, how do you give and where and where do you start? Well, I want to encourage you to give from a grateful heart and give from a broken heart. What are the things that break your heart? And for, for Teddy and I, I mean, we, we settled the principle of giving God first as we tithe, we've done that most of our married life since I came to know Jesus. And, um, but 28 years ago, God broke our hearts. And, and 
a lot of you have been around for a while, you know the story of the springs and, and, uh, and, and when we began, uh, those first few years were the hardest, darkest years of our lives. We had nothing and, um, and we lost everything. And we, we prayed during that time. We said, God, if you'll let us live through these hard, dark years, we will always give back. We will always give back to church planters. I will always take their call. We, we will always pray for them, train them, meet with them. I promise we will always give back. And fast forward 25 years after that, that season, because of your generosity and our faithfulness to that promise. Over the last 25 years, Teddy and I have uh, trained, coached, mentored, prayed for church planters, 10,000 church planters in the last 25 years. And listen, you know why? Because I promised God I would. And it, there was 10 of them here this week. And you, their pictures and their churches are on your seats. And those were planners that were with us this week. And, and when you do that, when you say, God, I, I mean, for, for you and I, I mean, I thought, what if when we just started, what if we just prayed for our needs? What if we just said, God, help us. God, meet our needs as a young church. God, keep, what if we just prayed that? He would have. And we would have missed God multipl God's multiplication miracle in our lives. Because it was like God said, okay, here's a church that's going to be faithful. Let's send them all they can handle. And I know you hear 10,000 church planters, you go, this sounds like a preacher number. It's really not. We went back years ago and counted every conference we'd ever taught, every coaching network we ever started, network that we ever started, every, every planner we ever uh, invested in. And it was over 10,000. And that doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't. When God gets involved, it never makes sense. And I'm telling you, God wants to invite you into this whole miracle of multiplication where you're trusting him and your faith is growing and you're going to see exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. And, and you know, and you might be sitting there going, uh, this is just so different than I, I, I've been used to. You, but you've got to know this. God says, give first because he modeled it. He gave his first son and only son to go on a, die on a cross because he chose you first, because you mattered that much, because, because he picked you. He sent his son to die for you. Hey, when you understand that, when that washes over your heart, you're kind of like, oh God, I didn't deserve that. 
But that's the, that's the decision you make to say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. I want to trust you as a savior and leader of my life. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to trust you when it doesn't make sense. And I'm going to honor you with my life. And God, I need you. And for some of you, you never stepped into that relationship. And Christianity is not a religion. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a relationship with a living God who says, I sent my son to die for you because I love you. And I want you to spend eternity with me. He died for your sins, for your past, to give you a future in heaven, but to give you life to the fullest right here today. And you can start that relationship right where you're sitting. Let's go to the Father in prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're here today and say, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, I want him to be the Savior and leader of my life, just tell him that. You could pray this prayer not out loud, but between you and God, and you could say, Dear Father, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, to give me forgiveness for my sin and eternity in heaven one day, but life to the fullest today. Today, Jesus, I ask you to be the leader, Savior. Now teach me how to walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.